This is Dave Doggett, and you're listening to the Maritime Outdoorsman Podcast, Episode 3. Hello, and thanks again for joining me for another episode of the podcast. Today, I'm actually going to jump right into an interview uh, or chat, I guess you could call it, that I recently had with Eddie Halfyard, who is uh, currently getting his PhD at Dalhousie University. And in part of doing that, he's been heavily involved with acid rain, uh, salmon restoration, uh, he's got all kinds of interesting information. And it's nice to actually hear some positive uh, things happening or taking place in the science end of things with the fishery. And if you want to check the show notes for this episode, uh, I'm going to highlight the key points as well as um, some contact information uh, such as Eddie's website address and things like that, um, you can just go to maritimeoutdoorsman.com slash 003 for episode three. So I'm going to jump right in here and uh, get Eddie on the line and bring you the discussion that we had. Enjoy. All right. So um, I've got my friend Eddie Halfyard on the line and thanks for joining me tonight, Eddie. Oh, you're quite welcome. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Um, so I guess first, uh, I mean, I'm one of the fortunate few that, that has gotten to know you very, fairly well over the last, I think, probably 15 years. Um, it maybe just a, a you know a, a short little bio about yourself introduction for those who don't know you, and, uh, and then we'll get into uh, you know, some of the um, acid rain discussion. Sure. Um, well, I, I always like to say, first and foremost, I'm an angler. Um, you know, I, I grew up in, in Sackville, Nova Scotia, and uh, grew up uh, as, a, as a kid outside. I did a lot of fishing, um, got into hunting. Um, neither of my parents were really into fishing or hunting, so I spent a lot of time learning um, how to fish and, and not a lot of time necessarily catching fish. Right. Uh, it a great way to spend a childhood. and. That sort of led me into uh, into biology because I, I like spending time in uh, around fish and the places they live, and so uh, I spent some time at Acadia University and I'm just finishing up um, a PhD at Dow working on Atlantic salmon. Awesome, um, yeah. I, I I mean, you know, when I first met you, we were both pretty much just anglers, and you were just, you know, sort of heading in the direction of the sciences and, and biology and all that. And, uh, you know, it's amazing to, to see where you're headed and what you're doing. And, um, you know, I just like to say, um, you know, it's, it's nice that there are people like you out there that, you know, aren't just necessarily book smart on the subjects, but have some hands-on experience. Well, um, it's a sort of thing that I, I enjoy what I do every day, um, and you know, it's uh, I, I count myself fortunate to have this as a as a career, and uh, uh, as long as I keep enjoying it, I, I don't see a reason to to stop doing what I'm doing. So awesome! Well, uh, just stay within uh, Nova Scotia, and, and we'll all be happy. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, yeah, wicked. So um, I, I think, you know, obviously I'm, I'm going to, um, if you'll be back, I'll, I'll have you several times on the, on the show, hopefully on, on various topics. But, um, 
you know, the first one that kind of jumps out is is acid rain. So you've been working with Atlantic salmon, and I know we don't have, uh, you know, I, I I don't have a huge uh, recording time on these uh, on these shows, but you know, maybe give us a little snapshot of um, the the West River Sheet Harbor um, acid rain uh, liming project, and because uh, I know there's a lot of people out there that uh, don't really know about that project or or don't know. Um, you know, sort of how important it is and, and what it's what it's sort of uh, shown. Sure. So um, in, in the Northeast U.S. and in Maritimes, um, we basically have small pockets of areas where acid rain is a real problem for, um, for all fish and aquatic life, for that matter. Uh, and the, the two regions where it hits really hard is um, what they call Down East Maine, which is sort of the, the northern coast of Maine, mm-hmm. and um, a place called the Southern Uplands of Nova Scotia, which is basically, if you were to draw a line from Digby, Nova Scotia, straight through to Canso, everything um, south and east of that is, is known as the Southern Uplands. And basically what it is, it's an area where there's a lot of granite and slate, and so these rocks really don't um, break down easy compared to something like a sandstone. Right. And the, the soil is very thin, um, and, and what happens is acid rain comes in, and acidifies the area. So it makes it so that the pH um, of the water that runs through that soil and eventually makes it into our lakes and rivers, um, it, the pH drops down. Uh, that's a problem for, for insects and for fish, and as a result, a lot of them die. Mm-hmm. So through, through the 70s and 80s, the, the problem of acid rain was really picking up. Um, a lot of it has to do with burning fossil fuels, um, cars, and... and, and, and power generation and that sort of thing that gets put into the atmosphere and comes down in rain or snow. Yeah. Um, so through the 70s and 80s, we saw that increasing quite a bit. And, uh, we, you know, at the same time, we started to see salmon populations decline, um, particularly around around the late 80s. So survival of juvenile salmon and, and, and trout and a lot of other fish uh, in our rivers was, was declining. And, um, and that really came to sort of the forefront in the late 1980s when populations really tanked um, because mm-hmm. of in the ocean at the same time. So um, so in response to this, um, there was quite a bit of science done locally, and, and salmon anglers um, in particular became particularly uh, concerned with the issue of acid rain. And so um, they started hosting a series of, uh, of discussions and and. and Symposiums and trying to identify ways forward to deal with the pro- the problem of acid rain. Right. And uh, right. so the Nova Scotia Salmon Association spearheaded a project to investigate um, a couple different options of how they could could mitigate the problem. And uh, liming came up as as the solution. And um, they identified some areas where they could work. And um, basically, in, in 2001, I believe it was, they brought in an expert from Norway. Um, Norway is the world's leader on acid mitigation. Right. And they've been there for mm-hmm. uh, 30 years, and they spend, uh, I, I think it's you know, it's, it's something crazy like uh, $50 million. Um, the, the equivalency, uh, the Canadian equivalency in, in mm-hmm. their owner every year um, yeah. on, on acid rain. So, um so basically what liming is, is you take crushed up limestone mm-hmm. and you put it into the river itself or on the land 
um, and you you buffer the you buffer the acid uh, mm-hmm. much as, as farmers do on a field with acid uh, with uh, with lime or people do on their lawns. Excellent, and so that that has been proven time and time again to restore the acid levels to where they should be in in different waterways. Absolutely, yeah. In Norway, they've been studying it for as long as they've been doing it. Um, and they've had great success there. Their populations have responded um, dramatically, and now they have uh, huge salmon runs and rivers where there was essentially no salmon before. Hmm. Um, our problems here are a little bit different, and, and certainly everyone realized that going into it. Um, so this this project on the West River, uh, She Harbor, is the first of its kind in North America, um, and it's a, a lime dozer, and it, uh, or doser, I should say. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. It's a uh, it's a 30 foot high building with a silo in it, and it mixes the the crushed up limestone into the water and spits it right back into the river. Um, it's all automated, so as the as the water level goes up, it adjusts its dosage, um, and it's all calibrated, and we can check on it from uh, uh, you know from our home computers. Um, so it's it's really a, a neat piece of equipment, um, and so. We weren't sure exactly how that was going to go. So since 2005, we've been um, monitoring the project, um, trying to assess the impacts. And by by all signs, it looks like we're having a real uh, a, a, a real good impact on the river. Um, we're seeing um, a whole bunch of different things starting to respond. Awesome, yeah. Because you've you know when you're you're monitoring this kind of thing, you're you're checking right down to how the insects are responding. Absolutely. So first and foremost, of course, we want to see if the chemistry of the water responds. Right. That's sort of what drives everything. So I talked about the pH, and um, what we know is that basically anything above about 5.4 on the pH scale, anything above that is okay for salmon. Right. You get down to 5.1, and there's you know sort of 30% or 50% of them dying. Uh-huh. Um, anything below that, and an awful lot of them die. Anything below about 4.7, and, and salmon cannot live. Okay. Uh, brook trout, a few of them can stick around, but even things like mayflies and caddisflies are, are heavily impacted. So, um, yeah, we do monitor, uh, obviously, stream pH and other chemical properties, but then we look at things like uh, periphyton, which is small algae um, communities that live on top of rocks, Mm-hmm. Uh, on top of wood in the river, and that's sort of um, the base of the food chain for a lot, uh, a lot of creatures in the river. Um, we look at the stream invertebrates, so these are the aquatic insects primarily, um, the food for the fish that we like to fish for. Right. A lot of them will, uh, you know, they, they, their life cycles are very short, um, and so they are likely to respond really quickly to what we're doing in the river. So. That's one of our, our primary focus areas, and we, we've seen that um, some of the species that were gone before because of the acid have come back. Nice. Um, and in general, there's there's about two times um, as much biomass or, or the overall um, quantity uh, of, of invertebrates or of insects in the river um, has doubled as a result of our lining. Awesome. So yeah, yeah. When you talk about uh, food availability for salmon and trout and and perch and suckers and, and minnows. Um, uh-huh. That's really important. Yeah, like, so what was the um, level before the the doser went in, and, and what is it these days? Sure. 
So it changes all throughout the watershed, um, mm-hmm. and some little tributaries or streams are more acidic than others. Um, so we, we, we try to do everything relative to the way it was. But um, So, for example, in the uppermost section of the main river, um, near the lime dozer itself, the pH used to be sort of 4.5 um, up to, say, 4.9. Mm-hmm. So salmon would not do well there at all, um, and it's likely that 100% of the of the uh, juveniles would die. Okay. Um, since we've been liming, there's a section of about 10 kilometers of river where the pH is now um, somewhere between 7 um, to 7.5, and, a half. Mm-hmm. and uh, that is uh, amazingly... Um, uh, amazingly perfect for Nova Scotia. Awesome. Um, seven on on the pH scale is is absolutely neutral. Uh-huh. Um, so it's uh, it's really quite interesting to see that we've been able to to achieve that. Um, Thirty kilometers downriver, where the river empties into the ocean, our goal was to have a pH of five point five, and we've achieved that um, since the since October of two thousand five. Nice, nice. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. And I, I've heard quite a bit about the the project myself, um, being a part of some of the groups like the Nova Scotia Salmon Association. Um, but you know, I figured that there's a lot of people out there that that probably don't know what's going on with that. And uh, it's nice to hear, you know, some good news for a change. Now, what? Um, obviously, if there's a dose or you know, automatically, dr- uh, you know, sort of dripping lime into the system. Um, if the doser is to stop or the, you know, that, that part of the project stops, then everything can potentially go back to disastrous levels. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. So we have a couple fail-safes built in, mm-hmm. um, but, but on a long term, if we were to shut that down, mm-hmm. um, it would only be a matter of, of days or potentially weeks, and the system would be back to the way it was. Wow, yeah. So, so what what kind of dollar figure or DNO offhand approximately? What what kind of money are we talking about that it takes to to keep something like this running? Well, we're in year eight of the ten year project, um, and to date we're sitting at approximately eight hundred thousand dollars invested. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, it's fairly it's fairly pricey, but uh, you know. In the in the scheme of things, to bring back a whole system, you know, it really doesn't sound that bad. Yeah, it, it doesn't. Um, you know, I, I stress to people that the money raised for this has the the lion's share of it has come um, just from our fundraising events. Right. You know, Salmon Association runs a a golf tournament, um, a charity dinner. Right. And that's where the money comes from. There's there's very 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 little. Investment from um, either the federal or provincial government. They do help in kind to a certain extent. Right. Um, but as far as operational costs, um, it's all fundraising. Interesting. So um, we're, I guess, you know, at the time of this recording, we're kind of at a, a point where it's kind of up in the air where the where the project is going to go, and you know, hopefully, um, you know, it continues on or. You know, so are there op- other options like what do they do? They call it catchment liming. Is that when the lime is put on the land? Absolutely, yeah. Catchment liming is when you you lime the land across the entire watershed. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something known as riparian liming. So this is liming on the watershed just adjacent to the river itself. Right. Um, just in sort of the, the first several hundred meters next to the river. 
Um, in some cases, that's all you need. So there, there are other options. Um, and, you know, we did a cost-benefit analysis prior to getting into this and, and looked at um, the issue with catchment lining, for example, is you usually have to spread it by helicopter um, because of the remoteness of most of our watersheds here. Right. So that's that's um, not cheap at all. No. Uh, and so that that can add up, and it's it's all upfront costs. So that's often hard to swallow for, especially an environmental, non-government organization. Right. Or not for profit. So, um, you know, there are options there. Um, what really lacks is is in a lot of cases funding, and in some cases framework to actually go ahead and do the work. Right. Yeah. So the West River was picked. Um, you know, I know some people might be saying, "Hey, how come my river wasn't picked for this?" But it was there was there a particular um, reason that you know the West River Sheet Harbor was was selected for this project? Absolutely. So we went through a, a ranking um, process or, or exercise. Um, this was actually before my time. It was the, the, the committee that we had originally set up, the Acid Rain Mitigation Committee. Mm-hmm. Um, and it involved things like the, the density of salmon that were still in the system. So obviously we wanted salmon to be there before we started the project. Otherwise, there wasn't much chance um, of, of having salmon come back right. uh, if there wasn't some sort of seed stock there. Um, there was that. The, the, the level of acidity in the river had to be such that we could do something with it. Um, the physical layout of the river had to be such that mm-hmm. you know if there's many large lakes in the in the main river itself it it can be difficult right um you know a lot of it had to do with the proximity to where we could actually get our lime, so it kept our trucking costs down sure there was an active river group there yeah there's uh there's a whole bunch of reasons you know historical stocking was was largely done with salmon from the west river sheet harbor, which was important from uh Conserving the genetics of of the river, the, okay. the genetic integrity of the river was important to uh, to consider. So right. there was a whole bunch of different options, um, but the West River continually came out on top. Gotcha. Well, that makes sense. Um, yeah. So that that's that's it's good to hear that something positive is is taking place, and that you know the the years of of research that you know you and other people have put into that is is uh, coming out with a, a positive result and so that's pretty exciting really especially if you're well especially if you're an atlantic salmon i guess yeah well it is and it's it's uh important to note that it's not just salmon right um that it, that it is trout mm-hmm. um it is other species as well i mean we we sample the entire fish community we get american eels and brown bullhead catfish mm-hmm. and white and yellow perch and uh, all the different uh minnow species and and, and suckers and um, chub and all, all kinds of stuff. So, right. um, yeah, it's it's important. It's important for the otters and the kingfishers that live there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's amazing how the a small improvement in a watershed like that reverberates through the entire, even even the animals on land benefit mm. from it. Uh, it's really something to see. Awesome. So we we also monitor uh, the Atlantic salmon population in the river itself. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of the the primary focus. Um, all the other things that we do are important, um, and and from a scientific perspective, they're more likely um, to show uh, changes in the short term. Um, mm-hmm. So when it comes to monitoring something like an Atlantic salmon, it, it can be quite difficult because right. some of them spend one, two, or three years as a juvenile in the river, and they go to the ocean and spend one or two years in the ocean, and mm-hmm. then some of them go back to the ocean, spend one or two more years, and so 
it gets quite complicated to uh, to show definitively that, right. that we're having results, but that doesn't stop us from trying. Um, and what we're seeing, um, you know, from our, our electrofishing, so we go and, and sample by, by shocking the water, yeah. um, and everything that's there comes up. Um, and so our electrofishing, um, we go to visit the same sites that the Federal Fisheries and Oceans has visited since 1967. Mm-hmm. So it gives us a pretty good uh, time series of what's been going on in the river. And uh, so recently we've we've seen that in some sections of the river, our juvenile densities are in fact as high or higher um, than they as they've been since the 1970s. Um, and, and at some of our sites, are the highest densities that we've ever seen in the river. Um, so that's a, a real positive sign. Now, it, it's important to note that we do other projects um, in the river in addition to the line dosing. So we, okay. we uh, for example, uh, collect wild juvenile salmon and take them to the hatchery mm-hmm. and then raise them until they're ready to spawn. Um, we put them back in the river to spawn on their own. And with the mates that they select, and potentially mixing with the, the completely wild stock, um, so that sort of helps us um, get a few more fish back into the river. Um, but certainly, we're seeing promising numbers from our electrofishing. Um, perhaps more telling is we monitor the the juveniles that leave the spring or the the river every spring. So these are called the smolts. Right. They are the sort of teenage salmon that um, are on the way to the ocean. They're about approximately six inches long, and they'll migrate to uh, Labrador or, in some cases, Greenland before coming back mm-hmm. one or two years later. So we've been monitoring them since 2007, two years after uh, we started the lime doser, but we monitor them on a section where we lime and also a section where we don't lime. Well, the section where we don't lime, the number of smolts that are produced annually has remained about the same, and it mm-hmm. ranges sort of from, say, 900 to 1,500 smolts. Right. Um, the section that we we monitor that contains some limed river in it, um, about 20 kilometers of limed river, um, basically when we first started monitoring in 2007, 8, and 9, it was producing about 3,000 salmon smolts. Okay. Um, and then in 2010, that shot up quite high to approximately 8,900 salmon smolts. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, 2011, we uh, had an estimate that was over 11,000 salmon wow. smolts. Wow. So, um, you know, the, the snippets that we are getting as far as data, um, if that is representative of what's actually going on, we're seeing a real positive increase uh, in salmon abundance and hopefully the health of the population. That's awesome. So, you know, this there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It's just a matter of, you know, <laughs> a lot of a lot of man hours, a lot of money. It can be done. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And, and and the man hours is a big part of it. You know, the the Nova Scotia Salmon Association and um, they are uh, really doing a great job. They have some very very keen individuals. Mm-hmm. The project manager George Ferguson, for example. Um, you know, he, he bleeds that project. Yeah. Uh, and many of the other uh, board of directors and members as a whole and, and volunteers. Um, there's uh, The last estimate, I think, was 13,000 volunteer hours since 2004, wow. uh, I guess, the year before it started. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's labor-intensive, but hard work pays off, and uh, hopefully we, we, we see the benefits down there for generations to come. That's that's really cool stuff. That's, that's awesome, and I... Uh... I thank you again for sharing that that information with us, and um, 
you know, it, it's, it's just, it is, it's good to hear positive things happening. Um, you know, even if it is a very, uh, time and, and, you know, money intensive, uh, process. Well, um, yeah, it's, it's, it is nice to see some, uh, to hear some good news for a change because right now in general, things for salmon uh, are not good. Mm. You know, it, it's to the point actually where the species at risk act. Um, so a federal piece of legislation that deals with uh, species at risk. Um, they, they conducted a review last spring on the salmon in this area. So the Atlantic coast of Nova Scotia, the, the Southern uplands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, by, by, um, the outcome of the meeting, the five-day, week-long meeting that we had, um, it's not looking good. And there's a good chance that the Minister of Fisheries and Oceans is, in fact, going to recommend that um, salmon in this area are considered endangered. Right. Which, uh, which means that things are going to change from a legal standpoint a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, hopefully things change in the resources that are available to protect Atlantic salmon. Right. Um, and the rivers that they live in. So, um, you know, we see that in other areas, for example, the inner Bay of Fundy salmon, um, although the populations haven't come back, they have invested uh, quite a bit more time and effort into trying to to protect them. So Uh we can only hope that that if they are listed, which should happen within about a year and a half, um, if they are listed as endangered, that maybe, just maybe, we'll get a little more, um, a little more resources directed our way that we can start to... uh, start to do similar projects on other rivers and, and make sure that there's salmon here for our kids and our grandkids. Well, that would be awesome. You know, it's it's nice to think that, you know, maybe maybe there are some good things coming down the road. And, and yeah, like you say, maybe our kids or our grandkids will, will actually get to experience, you know, Atlantic salmon or, or you know, like you said, um, it, it does wonders for the trout populations as well in these waters. Now, I guess... One other thing that I should probably throw in here, um, you know, at least at the time of this episode, is, you know, somebody listening might be thinking, oh, that's that's fantastic. Must be good fishing on the West River. I'm going to go up there and go fishing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, the, the river is open for right. some fishing. Um, mm-hmm. It's obviously the Atlantic salmon season is closed completely in this region. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it is a kind of a high-profile project, we obviously get a little... Uh, you know, we, we we have fairly keen uh, fisheries officers and conservation officers that keep an eye on the area. Right. Um, but there is some very good trout fishing in, in the, the river, and certainly, um, you know, a, a lot of the rivers around there have good trout fishing, mm-hmm. um, and, and the West River is just one of them. Sure, um, sure. So, I, yeah, I uh, I would agree that it's a good spot to go fishing, um, you know, considering that, that it, it may be uh, more and more popular you know, we ask that people mm-hmm. uh, pay particular close attention to perhaps not keeping their entire limit. Um, right. If they're going to keep fish at all, perhaps just uh, just a few, uh, as, as few as they need to get by. So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's lots of, you know, obviously in, in uh, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and Prince Edward Island, there's, there's oodles of, of places to go fishing. So perhaps, uh, you know, it might be wise to, to, uh, to sort of, uh, choose alternate locations at least until the project is uh, a little more uh, mature and uh, obviously check your regulations uh, wherever you're going before you go because these things do change year to year. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I, I certainly wouldn't want to discourage people from going there, but again, if you're there, 
um, you know, we just it's 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 nice to uh, to have some fish in the river that can help uh, produce the future generations that are really going to reap the benefits of uh, of the work that we are doing. So awesome! Uh, every every last fish counts. Yeah, perfect. And if somebody does happen to be fishing in that area, um, is it you know perhaps more important than normal to report you know good catches or anything like that or is, or do you guys pretty much have have the data collection sort of wrapped up as you need it? Um, well, um, you know, it's always good to, for people to report on, either on their angling stubs for the license mm-hmm. um, or, or some other format. It's, it's always appreciated to get some extra data. Um, I, of course, I'm a little bit biased in saying that as a scientist. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, tend be, uh, I tend to be a little greedy when it comes to data, and more is always better. Sure. Um, but yeah, we, we certainly appreciate that. Um, you know, we, we appreciate people who uh, are trying to be stewards of the river if they see something that shouldn't be going on, um, to certainly report that. Definitely. You know, and, and and we always appreciate that sort of thing. We also do quite a bit of, uh, uh, you know, tagging. You alluded to it earlier. So we often have uh, visible marks on fish, mm-hmm. um, or sometimes a, a, a not so visible mark like a small fin clip, or right. even um, stitches on the belly okay. um, where we a surgery. Um, and so if you see any of that, we certainly appreciate a call to either the Provincial Fisheries, uh, Department of Fisheries and Aquaculture, or uh, Natural Resources, or even Fisheries and Oceans. Any of those three would certainly relay the message to us. Awesome. Yeah, so if anybody out there listening uh, does encounter any of those things, definitely make a note of it and, uh, and you know, call the, the uh, proper authorities, I guess you call it. Awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks again, Eddie. And uh, I look forward to having you back on the show. All right. Great. I look forward to it. All right. Again, thanks to Eddie Halfyard for taking some time to chat with me for this episode. Um, and if you want to review the show notes on this episode or find out more information about Eddie, just go to MaritimeOutdoorsman.com slash 003 for episode three. That's going to wrap this one up. Thanks again for joining me. And until next time, this is the Maritime Outdoorsman Podcast.